0: Hey y'all, let's um let's go before the Lord in some more prayer. The house of the Lord is a house of prayer, right? So let's let's pray some more before we dive into the word of God this morning. Father, I count it a privilege that um that there's so much buzz at this particular moment that there are, and we're people up and talking and enjoying each other's company, and it's almost like we're kind of thirsting for that um, after two years of real awkwardness in relationship and awkwardness in how to be human again, and we're still kind of in the midst of that, um, relearning how to engage with humanity. These last couple years, Lord, uh, we've experienced some Some profound brokenness as a people, as a a race, as a human, as the human race, we've experienced just a lot of hardness. And our sin and our flesh has shown itself to be as strong as it's ever been. Even sometimes amongst us in the household of God, those who are your children adopted by the blood of your son. We sometimes allow the circumstances of the world and the culture to infiltrate our hearts in such a way where we become short and brash and selfish and non-gracious and not merciful and not kind, not thinking the best or wishing the best in any given situation. And Lord, I am as guilty as anybody else. I am as broken as everybody else. And Lord, we ask and we need your help. Even now, Lord, as we're here, we are wrestling mentally to be here. Emotionally to be here. Some of us are here out of habit. Some of us are here because it's the last ditch hope for you, for them. Lord, I want to take this weight off my shoulders. I can't do anything about that. But I can point them to you. And Lord, I pray that as I point people to you, that you would in turn take the ball and score the basket. Pray that as I point them to you, you would grab hold of their soul. That as I point them to you, you would say to me, well done in pointing them in the direction in which they should go. Not following me, but following you. Not following each other, but following you, Lord. Lord, this last couple of years, we've seen a lot of loved ones pass. And we've experienced a lot of hurt. And my, sometimes I feel like I'm wearing shackles. So I'm asking for your spirit to come in here. Just, just a little bit of you, Lord, come in here and illuminate our eyes to your glory. Show us a piece of you. Give us a piece of you that we would worship you for who you are. Lord, I remember the sentiment we used to say, Lord, if you don't do anything else for us, you've done enough already. But that goes to the wayside when tough times come. Remind us of how you displayed your love through your son so that the sentiment of that statement would be more true in our hearts than it is at this very moment. Lord, fill us with your spirit. We give you the praise and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Pillar family. My name is Pastor Canaan. I'm really excited this morning in particular because we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Galatians. So Go ahead and open there now in the book of Galatians. Um, what we normally do at Pillars, we try to take a book of the Bible and try to walk through it verse by verse, section by section. However, always on the first time we open up a book for the first time, it's less of an expository journey or walking through every word in the, in the text and more of just giving you the context of the book itself. And we're going to do some of that this morning. Uh, the theme of the book of Galatians is found in Galatians chapter five, verse one. Um, if you have a cross, you all got cross reference sheets, sheets with all those scriptures on it. You all got those? Good. because We're going to use them. I'm going to add some off the off a whim. Just know that if you've got a pen or a pencil, those things are helpful. Feel free to take notes. Those are good. But the theme of Galatians and the theme of the, the series is Galatians five one. And it's sa- and it's this is what it says. And it says for freedom, Christ has set us free. And that's the theme of the book of Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. And I was tempted to give it some cool name like the liberator or something like that, but nah, we're just going to stick with what the text says. Guys, our 21st century mind doesn't appreciate the concept of freedom the way it ought to, which is probably why when I read that verse, you don't jump for joy. In order to truly grasp the concept of freedom, we must experience the hopelessness of bondage. We have to experience it and recognize that that's what it is. The deeper the bondage, the more rich the experience of freedom will be. Our African-American ancestors were bound in this country for many years. And when they experienced freedom, they had a profound understanding of what this meant, and it caused them great joy and an ability to withstand the harshness of their current circumstances because they understood what bondage was there are how many 40 million there are 40 million people being trafficked every single year in this in in the world 40 million people at any given moment being trafficked and there's only one out of a hundred that get free those that one out of a hundred people who are trafficked for any given reason they understand with, with profundity what freedom is. And it's with almost every case of bondage that those who are bound generally are not able to free themselves. No matter how hard they have try to free themselves, no matter how hard they beg for freedom, those who are truly bound are unable to free themselves. Hence the nature of being bound. You can't do anything about it. And that's what's hard about bondage and that's what should be... Um, that's the picture I want to paint in your head, is that there's no freedom for you when you're bound. If one is truly bound, they'll need something or someone to free them from that bondage from the outside. Somebody who's not bound to come in and bring liberation and freedom to them. Does that make sense? Am I I clear or am I only clear to me? Y'all can talk to me. Talk to me. Help me. All right. Cool. I want to submit this to you. I want to submit that every single one of us in this room, whether we call it that or not, has experienced bondage. And many of you in this room are experiencing bondage presently. But I think we need to recognize it as such. How many of y'all went to college and Sally Mae and Navian and the boys got you bound? Uh Uh-huh. 150 G's in the hole, baby. Right? That's, That's real. I mean, there's a lawsuit going on right now over that, right? People are bound to this thing, and they can't free themselves no matter how hard they try. Some of you in this place are experiencing emotional bondage from those you love and you think love you. They got you in some kind of emotional trap where you can't, you just feel hamstrung around that person. You can't be you around that person. That's real bondage. Some of you experience physical bondage. I would argue that in this world, right, almost all of us experience mental bondage because we allow the culture and everything else around us to control our thinking, and we we do it willingly sometimes, too. I want you to, this isn't, like, I don't want to just say this. I want you all to practice this. I want you to think right now in your life, what could be potentially binding you? What kind of bondage are you experiencing right now? What has you by the neck that you need freedom from? Actively think about it. Don't just look at me. I really want you to think. What is actively binding you? What lie of Satan are you choosing to believe? Because we do. We're all believing some false truth. Like the sin you committed is too much for God to love you. You're unlovable. You're not wanted. Nobody cares about you. Those are the easy ones. That's the low hanging fruit for most of us. Some of us are bound by this profound sense, especially if you're a firstborn child. Firstborn children are going to empathize with this, with this performance-based love, right, that you got to prove yourself to your parents. And so you're, you are a perfectionist to a degree, and you're always trying to, to run things and make sure everything goes right so that your parents will love you because they did a good job. And all you want is good job from your mother and father, but you're not receiving it. And now you're bound to that idea of, I got to perform for my mother and my father to love me and my aunt and my uncle to love me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We do that with our spouses, we do that with our family members, we do that at work, we do that everywhere we go, we have performance-based bondage, and it's, I'm going to say, oh, it's, 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 it's horrible, it's, it stinks. Bondage is going to look different for each and one of us up in here, but I want to also hopefully by the end of this, prove this, that full and total freedom from bondage is it's found in the person of Christ, and it doesn't matter what the bondage looks like for you. That freedom comes through faith in Christ. That's where you'll find freedom. So if you've been trying to rip chains off by yourself by performing so much where you think they're going to say good job to you and they don't, that's never going to work. Even when they do, you're going to choose not to believe that word from them. There are two general categories when it comes to this concept of bondage that we all need salvation from. And these are the two categories we're going to see in our text in Galatians in Galatians in the book. First one is bondage from sin. And the second one is bondage to the law, the law of God, bondage to sin and bondage to the law of God. Biblically, these are the two categories by which people are bound. And this is the first thing that I want us to take out of our study from Galatians, is that we need freedom from sin and freedom from the law. And let's talk about freedom from the law before we talk about freedom from sin. In the context of the book of Galatians, there are some people uh, um, infiltrating the churches in Galatia, saying that in order for you to be saved, you have to identify with your Hebrew roots and obey the law of God. And until you do that, you have no favor with God. That's what the people, some, some people, some group, some belief system is infiltrating the Christians that live in the area, the region of Galatia. In a nutshell, they're teaching that freedom from your bondage of sin comes through the law. That's what they're telling people. There are people in their community that they would take the law and they would bind it down on the people. And eventually their shoulders were not able to handle the weight that the law put on them. You see, it sounds logical to think that you're going to earn God's favor by obeying the law. is not that sound logical? God says do this. If you do this, you earn his favor. That kind of makes sense. But it's kind of not true because no one obeys the law of God. We've misunderstood the purpose of the law. And we think that through the law, God's gonna look down on us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so what do we do? We bind ourselves to a performance-based approval of God, and when we can't fully attain uh, uh, obedience to the law, we find ourselves in misery, because God can't love me. Now, don't hear me twisted the law of God is great. The law of God reflects the glory of God. The law of God um, displays the, the holiness of God. The law is not a bad thing. But if you think that a broken person, that you and me who are broken people, and I don't have to defend that. I think you know you're broken. I'm broken. You're broken. we all broken up in here. That we think us broken people are going to be able to have a right standing with God by living up to the law, then we're actually placing ourselves in a willing position of bondage. The law is what imprisons us in sin. Look in your cross-reference sheet in the book of Galatians chapter 3. In your cross-reference sheet, Galatians 3.23, says this. Before faith came, key word, we were confined under the law. Next key word, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. See, sometimes you got to pull what you think out of it and let the text say what it says. And what it says is the law helped to imprison people under it because no one was able to attain it. And when you can't attain it, you're under bondage under it. But you keep thinking that it's going to be the way out. It's like quicksand. It's logical to think you're in something. And if you just keep moving, you'll get out. But guess what? You keep moving. What happens? You sink worse. Galatians 3.10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, but it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Y'all see that? Look what it says. I'm going to read it again. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What does that mean? If you're depending on your obedience to the law to be to have favor with God, you're under a curse. Look what it says. Why? It says because it is written, everyone who does not do, keyword everything written in the law, written in the book of the law, is cursed. Let me have a, a point of clarification. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. I want to say so many things right now. The law that's being referred to here is something called the Mosaic law. It's the law that is the most famous law in all of the Bible, right? It's the law that was given from, Moses, from God to Moses, and then Moses gave it to the people of Israel and said, obey these laws, you have blessings, disobey these laws, curses for you, okay? And, and, and there was not just, you know, most of us say the law, we think the Ten Commandments. Y'all know there was over 600 commands from God. It wasn't just 10 Ten kind of highlighted and summarized a lot of these laws, but it wasn't just ten. There were over 600 laws for these people to keep. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I was to give you the law of, actually, I do know about y'all. If I was to give y'all the law of God, the 600 commands from, from that Old Testament time, you wouldn't, you last five, six minutes. Half of y'all breaking it now. Wearing, because y'all are wearing different textures. Some of y'all got cotton and polyester on, or leather and cotton. Mm-mm. Some of y'all had some pork this morning, some bacon, eating them hoof things, uh-huh, yep, broke law, right? Now, don't get it twisted. Those aren't just happenstance laws, like God just threw some, some arbitrary stuff up in the air and was like, let's, make, my, let's make, make, make the life of my people miserable, ha, and make it hard for them. That's not what he's doing. It's reflecting his holiness. There's actually good and healthy things about everything that you see written in the book of the law. But the problem is we can't obey them all. And that's the purpose of the law, to bring you to your knees. The purpose of God showing his holiness to us is not so that you can try to strive to attain his holiness. It's to bring you to your knees so you're dependent on him to bring you up to his standard. That's what it's there for. I'm way ahead. okay. James 2. Look at this cross-reference sheet, James 2. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles on one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said don't commit adultery also said, do not murder. So if you commit adultery, but you, uh, I'm sorry. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you're a lawbreaker. Let me break that down. If, the reason why he says, if you've broken one, you've broken them all. It's not because, that doesn't logically make sense, but it does in this way. It's because you transgressed the lawmaker himself. And so, it, if you, just like your parent, if, if, if you're a parent of a child, and the child does one thing in which you don't want him to do, he's just, the child is guilty, just stamp the guilty on him. That's what it is. You don't have to go, well, you're guilty of this, but you're innocent of these five things. No. you transgressed my command. Period. you transgressed me. You ever been real mad at your child for doing something real small, but it's that just because they tested you, it was a problem? It's that concept. Come on now. We all did it. We all be getting mad at the kids. Come on. Sorry, kids. My baby over there. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. (laughs) And that's why verse 11 says what it says. It says, for he who said, it's pointing you to God. The idea is if you break one of God's laws, you've broken all of God's laws because you transgressed God. That's why it says, for he who said, don't do this. Also said, don't. the idea is, it doesn't matter which one you did, you transgressed him. I don't know if you know this or not, beloved, but there are people in our community, in our neighborhood, that would try to convince us of similar things that these false teachers were trying to convince the people of Galatia. There are people in our community and there are people in this time who will try to convince us that in order for us to be saved, we have to either depend and identify with some kind of a Hebrew root and or obey all the laws of the Old Testament. They taught it then and Paul dealt with it then and it's being taught now and we need to deal with it through what the Apostle Paul has said to us now. This is what these people are doing, they're leading you to bondage. There's no freedom for you in the law. There's no freedom for you in your ethnic identity that is not the means by which you have favor with God. No one has ever been made right with God by keeping the law. Romans 3, 3.20, Galatians 3.11 say that. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of his glory. And that all is literally an all-inclusive all. Everybody falls short. Because Adam felt short and everybody's in Adam. So if you are a descendant of Adam, which all of us are, then we've all fallen short in Adam. That's Romans chapter five. Doesn't matter what you identify with. We all fall short. In like manner, the second thing that the book of Galatians is going to highlight for us the major category of sin. The first one is bondage to the law. The second one is bondage to sin. Let me define sin. I did in 1 John 5, 517 for you. All unrighteousness. Sin is all unrighteousness. Anything that contradicts God's character, His nature, His command. That's sin. Now, sin, unlike the law, is more crafty in its appearance of making you free. You see, when you think that you're going to gain favor with God or freedom through obedience to the law, you know you're binding yourself to the law. But what sin does is gives you the illusion of freedom and then it binds you. That's what sin does. I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what God says or thinks about it, is the sentiment because I'm free to do so. But what do those who dive headlong into their sin quickly find out? Before long, the sin we freely fought to dabble in is now has a stronger grip on us than we have on it. Let me give you some examples. When I was young, I dabbled in porn. Any men up in here can identify? How's freedom from that going? Some of us in here have gotten away with an emotional affair. Now it's real hard to stop having emotional affairs with other people. Some of us have caved to our anger one time, and we saw it wasn't that bad, and so now you have a propensity to cave to your anger. Some of y'all lied on your taxes last year. You were real tempted to lie on your taxes this year, weren't you? Some of y'all thought, oh, just a little sip of that, just a little hit. Just a little sip, just just a little puff. Just a little snort, just a little prick. How's freedom from that stuff going? Y'all feeling me? The things we think we do to experience freedom eventually, over time, find itself binding us. I, I was thought of this while um, while we were were singing this morning. It was in Psalm thirty-two. It's not in your sheet. It just it just it came to me this morning. And I, I flipped to it to make sure I didn't forget it. It said, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. Listen to this. This is what hurt me. I hope it hurt you all like it hurt me. Listen, when I kept silent, when he hid it, when he hit his sin, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle. From all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Y'all ever have sin that you're, you're refusing to acknowledge or you're bound in a particular area and you're scared to let it go. And it almost feels like your bones are wasting away. That thing is just crushing you every day. It's like this weight is on your chest. That's bondage. Look what Proverbs 5.22 says. The wicked man's iniquities will trap him. And he will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. I don't have to prove it. It's a text that John 8:34. Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a what? Slave to sin. Verse 36. But if the Son sets you free, you will really be free. Beloved, trying to be made right with God through obedience to the law leads to death. Trying to make, trying to to uh, uh, experience your freedom through forms of sin will eventually lead to death. The bondage is real. I feel it. You feel it. Those chains are rubbing the skin off of our ankles and our wrists as we speak. But there's good news from the book of Galatians and that there's a savior who has come to set us free from these particular forms of bondage. Both bondage to the law and bondage to sin. Bondage to your performance based thoughts that you have to earn somebody's favor and freedom from the sin that you thought was freedom that eventually bond- binded you. I was Oh man, an example just came. Y'all ever see 12 Years a Slave? Y'all remember homeboy in the beginning? I don't remember his name. It was a long time when I saw it. But he thought he was going to make a deal, right? Then all of a sudden, what happened? They snatched him up. He thought he was going to, he thought he was free. He thought he was going to make a deal. And this is what happens with sin oftentimes, not that he was sinning, but the concept is this. You think you're going to just to go come up on something, go enjoy yourself for some little something. I'm not going to go that far. And before you know it, that thing got you in, his head, it got you in, the, in the headlock. The book of Galatians is written to the churches in the land of Galatia. And unlike most of Paul's writings, this is written to a whole bunch of churches in that region. There are several churches there. Look with me in in Galatians chapter one, verses one through five. This is what the Apostle Paul opens with. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. Then all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, our father, from God, from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me first give you a a little introduction on who this dude Paul is, who's the author of the letter. Uh, The Apostle Paul, before he was a Christian and considered an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was actually a persecutor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You can turn in your Bible to this. I want to show you. He actually illustrates his testimony in Acts chapter 22. And I want you to read that testimony along with me. This is I'll let you get there. But this is what he says in Acts 22. We're going to read verses one through 16. And we'll stop at verse seven so I can explain something and then we'll keep going. And this is going to be pertinent. As you see, the author of the book is uniquely qualified to write this book. Acts 22, verse 1 through 16, it says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. This is the Roman Empire, y'all. He's born in the Roman Empire, but he's Jewish by heritage. And brought up in this city. He's in Jerusalem at this point. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way, meaning he persecuted Christians, to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. I received letters from the brothers, and I traveled to Damascus to arrest those those who who were there, and to bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. OK, so so during Paul's day, you get the, the, the religious leaders are punishing people who claim faith in Christ. Right. That's what they're doing. And he was a religious leader and he was actively participating in this from death to imprisonment is what he says. Verse six. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop there. I know i told you that this is somebody named paul's testimony but in this particular day uh, there was something called a trinomia In in the roman culture people would often have two or three different names that they went by saul was his hebrew name paul was probably his roman name there was never a point in time in which saul's name was changed to paul we don't see that in the text like 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 Simon, who's Peter, Jesus starts calling him Peter, kind of changes his name. That doesn't happen to Paul anywhere in the text, Uh, but we do know that because of the culture, the area in which Paul is, oftentimes you're called by more than one name. And Saul is most likely his Hebrew name, and Paul is most likely his Roman name. And he actually changes his name and identifies with Paul because of his mission, which you'll see later. Verse 8, I answered, Lord, uh, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me, he says, saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up, go to go to Damascus. And there you will be told everything that you everything that everything that you have been assigned to do. So here God is saying, I got a job for you. Verse 11. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand. To those, by those who are with me, and went into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, uh, who had a good reputation with the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very hour I looked and I saw him. Verse 14, and he, and he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you. Stop there. Did you notice what, G, what, what Paul just did there? Paul said, Who are you? The voice responded, said Jesus. And then now he's talking to Ananias. He says, the God of our ancestors has just appointed me. Who is he saying the God of our ancestors are? Y'all not see that in the text. This is the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. Anyway, keep going. The, our ancestors appointed you to this, to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth. Verse 15. Since you will be a witness for him, under, underline this, to all people of what you have seen and heard. Notice that Paul, a Jewish Man was chosen by God not to awaken people to their Hebraic roots. That wasn't God's mission for him. Did you see that? That wasn't his job because that doesn't save. He wasn't called to call people to the Mosaic law. You didn't see that as his description either. What was he called to do? What did he say? He was to be a witness for Jesus to all people of what you have seen and heard. To testify of the righteous one is what his job is. That's what's important for him. Paul was eventually accepted by the original 12, and he was designated as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we see that in Galatians 1, Acts 9, Romans 11, 1 Timothy 2. And we'll talk about more of that as we go on. Uh, what you may not know about Paul, some people think, Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. An apostle is someone who was sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to be his witness. And Paul was not one of the original 12. Okay? He was, he, his redemption his salvation came later after the crucifixion of the lord jesus and it seems that there are some people in galatia in the region of galatia didn't respect paul's apostleship nor his teaching and hence why he's going to seem a little defensive about his apostleship in the in the letter we're going to see him defend more of his apostleship as we go on but there's two other things that i want us to see from the introduction of galatians the first one was remember freedom from the law and freedom from sin through the proclamation of his son. The second one is this. Paul wants us to see the origin of his gospel and the power of his gospel. We get that right from the text. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Stop there. Paul is taking the time to tell the people of Galatia that his gospel, the thing that he's proclaiming is actually good news, that we can trust and believe what he's about to say. Because remember, because he's not one of the original 12, it's easy to throw a stone in his shoe and have people reject him off the basis of his past. That makes sense? And he says, I was appointed to this not from a man or by a man. I didn't hear this gospel from a man or by a man. I didn't hear this second or third hand from anybody. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that his gospel is true good news and that he got it right from the source. There was no manipulation. There was no chance that he got it wrong. Paul had a supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus is what we just read. And he taught that that good news was from Jesus himself. And then what Paul did, this is dope, People miss it. Paul actually went back to the original 12 and helped fact check his gospel. And it says the text says they added nothing to him. We find that in Acts chapter nine and in Galatians chapter two. Paul was not a second tier apostle. As it would seem, the proponents of Galatia would try to push that he was a second tier apostle. He was specifically chosen by God to be Jesus's ambassador to the Gentiles. Paul's gospel was real and it was authenticated as truly good news. He's simply highlighting this. My gospel, what I'm about to tell you is true. And you can trust it. And he's going to say later, and we're going to see this in the coming weeks. He says, if anybody tells you a gospel other than what I told you, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if they say they're an apostle. I don't care if it was me. If I come back to you and give you a different gospel, count it accursed. There's only one means by which men have favor with God, and it's not their, herp, their, herp, their Hebrew lineage, and it is not the law. It is the Son and the son alone. Amen. and He's going to highlight that over and over again in the passage. And that's important, both for our context in East Fort Worth, and it's important for your salvation of your soul, that if you're trying to make, have favor with God through any other means than Jesus, you are in deep, deep trouble, and you'll never attain favor with God that way. He says the origin of his gospel is Jesus, and then he says the power of his gospel is likewise Jesus. Look at verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? Verse four. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what's crazy about the introduction to this particular book is that Paul is kind of antsy about getting this theological truth in. And so his introduction is convoluted, which is why the sermon may sound kind of convoluted. It's not just, hey man, what's up, it's Paul, hope y'all grace and peace, let's get it. No, he starts introducing theological themes right in the middle of that thing. Jesus Christ, who's the son of, um, what did he say, what did he say? Um, He starts off by saying, Jesus Christ, uh, God the Father, raised him from the dead, that's the doctrine of the resurrection. Then he says, oh, all the brothers with me too. And then he starts going on, he says, Jesus who gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to him be the glory forever, amen. It's like he's antsy to get to Jesus on purpose because these people are being duped to think that their salvation is some other way. And he's like, no, no other way. I can't even say hi to you without saying Jesus. It's like you got a tick. He's like, yeah, how y'all doing? Jesus rose from the dead, I'm just saying. Because they're believing falsehood and beloved, I have the same desire for you. And it's almost, it's almost as if you know this, almost like I pull back from saying, Jesus, I, I don't want to look weird to you. Bump looking weird, I don't care no more. I hope y'all don't care no more. People are going to hell because they believe that their Hebraic lineage is going to save them, and it won't. People are going to hell because they think that obedience to the law is going to save them. It won't. Some of you guys are bound to your sin that you thought was freedom. Guys, you won't find freedom in any of that. Do more of what you want. You're going to get more bound. But this freedom in Jesus. I got a tick too. get a tick. It's good. Jesus came to free us from this present evil age and he came to free you from the sin that you are enslaved to. Which is why I said, man, think about it. What are you enslaved to? All of you are enslaved to something. Fighting something, fighting not to be bound by something. But something wants you. And something has some of you. And you can't do nothing about it. And I want you to be okay with that. You can't free yourself. The bound cannot be free of their own accord because they're bound. You need something from the outside to free you. And this is what the point of the book of Galatians is leading us to, that there's somebody who is a liberator who is going to free us in particular from Galatians. He's going to free us from the law and he's going to free us from sin. The effects of it, the power of it, all of those things only lead us to death. And how does he free us? It's the power that we find in the person of Christ through his death and resurrection. That's how we, ha- that's how we have freedom. How do you get freedom from performance-based affection? You don't perform for God's love. God performed and demonstrates his love for you despite your performance of his or obedience towards the law. You're accepted despite you. No more having to perform. Now your performance is a response to his love instead of a means by which you attain it. Free. You mess up. It's not like, oh, he's not going to love me today. I was chilling with my, my, my man Caleb yesterday and he gave me a, this thing. He said, he said, somebody asked him, where do you think you are with God? And he was like, oh, 10. I'm a 10. One to 10? 10. Dude was like, oh, you a prideful dude, huh? You 10? You think you are that? No, that's that's theologically sound. It's not your works by which you have favor with God or you're OK with God in the first place. Jesus is perfect work. And if you're in Jesus, you're in his work. Yeah, it's a 10 B. But what does Satan tell you? God can't love you. Look what you did. Your response to look what you did is look what he did. OK, that, that's how you fight that. Oh, man, I'm leaving this thing. I should leave this thing more. the perfect life of Jesus that we point to. It's Jesus' perfect obedience to the law of God that we point to. That we have freedom from any kind, any form of bondage through him. We're fighting with the earthly bondage, the bondage to our alcohols and our drugs and and our angers and stuff like that. Praise God, he decided to send his Holy Spirit to indwell those who believe so that you have a chance in which to be free from the thing that's binding you. Now you have choice to to fight against sin. But before that, you ain't got no choice. You just get knocked around. You have no chance in the battle. Not only does he save us from bondage to the law and bondage to sin, but we're also saved from eternal damnation from God, which is eternal bondage. John 3.36 says that the wrath of God remains on those who don't believe in the Son. Romans 6:23 tells us that death is ready to lay claim on all of us, but we praise God that Jesus wasn't having it. And Paul gets right to the point by saying that Jesus gives himself to rescue us from this present evil age. Jesus surrendered his his body and his will, allowing himself to be beaten and crucified. In so doing, he was absorbing the wrath of God and exchanging his righteous life for all of our sins, all of our traumas, all of our pains, all of our shortcomings, all of our shame. We all find freedom and peace from all of those things in the person of Christ. If we choose not to be bound again, go back to Galatians 5.1. Remember, I said that that Galatians 5.1 is the theme of the book of Galatians. Contextually, this is talking about the law, but I'm applying it to everything. For freedom, Christ has set, you, set us free. Stand firm then. What does that mean? Stay in belief in this. Why? And, and what? And don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You have the choice not to submit again to the yoke of slavery because you've been set free. We go back to slavery and bondage because we're used to it. Man, bump that. You're free in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. You don't have to fall for those same temptations, those same tricks, those same schemes. Pornography does not have a hold on you. You're going back to it because it's a source of comfort. Alcohol is messing with you, but you can experience freedom in Christ. That doesn't mean there's not labor and, and work on this side. Doesn't mean it's just, oh, I'm free all of a sudden. No, sometimes you got the fight. This got some chemical stuff going on, but trust in Christ, lean in on him, and he can help you experience freedom from such things. He'll send his people. He'll send his spirit. He'll hold you. He'll keep you away from that mug. He'll do whatever. There's freedom in him. There's power in his name and there's power in his people because there's power in the spirit of God which indwells them. You can have freedom from your sin. I ain't, I, I ain't preaching y'all no mysticism stuff, okay? It's not like, oh, okay, believe in Jesus. I'm just free now. Oh, I got to... Sometimes that, that sin is deep. That takes some rooting, okay? It hurt a little bit. Taking a little time. I ain't saying everything disappears overnight. What I'm saying is you can have freedom. And there's choice involved now. I don't have to do that. First Corinthians ten thirteen. Write that down. I'm not going to record it, but write it. It's for you. Jesus came to rescue us from this present evil age, to rescue us from death that the law imprisons us to. To rescue us from having to be recognized as something in order to be favored with God. He comes to rescue us from sin. He comes to rescue us from bondage in general. And that's why the text says it is for freedom that Christ sets us free. And so here's my plea to you. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. That's what Paul's going to yell at you by the end of this sermon series. Don't go back to the yoke. Don't go back to the bondage. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you can experience freedom. That brother can experience freedom, whoever that dude was, (laughs) in Christ. And the ultimate freedom we get is freedom from death. And that's why look at your cross reference sheet. 1 Corinthians 15, where death is your victory. You see, this is the same author, right? Talking about what, ha- what happens when you're in crisis is where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. It loses its sting. Why? Look at this. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. You're free from them both. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through where? The Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you are in bondage and you've yet to place your faith in Christ and you are going to remain in bondage until you place your faith in Christ, freedom means nothing to you until you understand and comprehend the reality of your bondage. Deny it. You will never think you need freedom. Live in bondage for the rest of your life, but accept it. Have eyes to see for the first time that you are bound not by one thing, but by multiple things. Now you have the spirit of God on your side to fight for your freedom in him. And then our submission, our love, our acts of service are no longer a means by which to attain favor. It's the blessed response of the one who set us free. And if we are free, we are free indeed. Only in Christ, though. No other way. Father, there's so much I wanted to say. Whew, and I didn't say it. And there's so much in the text that I didn't explain. And I still managed to talk for 50 minutes. But I pray, Lord, that the word that you have, the seed that you have sown doesn't return void, Psalm 55, uh, Isaiah 55, 10 11, that it would do its work in the soul of the people and that they would recognize through the exposition of your word throughout the next several weeks, maybe several years, I don't know how long it's going to take, um, that they would receive freedom from their bondage. I pray that you would bring recognition of their bondage to those who deny that they're bound. I pray that they would See their need for a savior, which is the purpose of the law to begin with, not as a ladder to God. But as a means of bringing us to our knees, as a means of making us lift up our hands to him, saying, Lord, I can't. I'm unable. You are too holy, too righteous. And he says, I know. And I will demonstrate my love by sending my son to obey such laws and to give of himself and then to give his righteousness to us in exchange for our sin. So that when you see us, we attend. God sees you. We can rest in that. No more fighting for love. We have it in Christ. No more trying to be what we're not in order to attain favor. We have it in Christ. No more being in shame of the sin that we're trying to hide from everybody up in here. Freedom in Christ. That alcohol and drugs and pornography and anger and lies for our benefit would have no place among us because we're freeing you. We don't have to. You got us. I don't got to lie on my taxes. I know you got me. But the temptation is there. It's there for me. It's there for them. It's real. So I called it. Lord, help us to be people who love you and honor you in every facet because we are free to do so. We give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.